0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen.
1: Hey, welcome to another actually beautiful Monday, huh? It's uh, it's the month of August, August 3, and uh, oof, we got an hour. Uh, to commiserate and or berate and or I don't know what, but you know we'll find out soon enough I suppose. Uh, oh, a uh, heads up, and I hate to do this. I just hate to do this because I've been doing this. I feel like a lot. I will not be able to do the show tomorrow. Um, it's another medical thing. Um, the medical things are gonna uh, continue a bit and. um and you know and then it'll be behind us and or me at least <laughs> and we can uh get back to you know being sort of more regular so i won't be here tomorrow no show tomorrow but uh wednesday i'll be back okay um oh i don't know where to start where do you start where do you start uh <laughs> just saw what Trevor Noah posted It's sort of, you know, if you, if you look at the last, uh, I don't know if this was just a day that all this happened. I mean, you'll know all of it. It happened actually last week. But th- this is the kind of thing that happens literally on a daily basis um, in this country now. And any one of them Back in the day would have had us talking for hours on end at uh you know high pitch and now uh, we just barely react and that's part of how um, that's part of how it works that the constancy of the outrages um, makes makes you numb and you stop reacting and that's dangerous that's what they want so he was just summing up i guess one day i just happened to see it and he says uh all right so trump suggests delaying the election secret police still roam the streets of portland and senator tom cotton calls slavery a necessary evil you know, just three things happening in in a, in America, and I mean, you can do uh, a summation like that literally every day, and sometimes twice a day, and never repeat yourself. It's just, it's it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Um. So. I was looking at this thing, the uh, New York Times today has a two-page, uh, uh, very graphic, literally, you know, uh, pictures and stuff of what it will take for kids to go back to school because they are. They're already going back to school in some places. Now, Pittsburgh Public Schools have said, no, we're not doing that, uh, which I think is the right decision assuming i say that only assuming that all children have access to computers and everything they need and i'm not sure that's true what is a kid from a poor household that has no computer no wi-fi no any of that how how are they supposed to do remote learning so I, I have issues with that, but I certainly don't think schools should generally be opening. But they are, and they are even in communities where this thing is still raging. So, I mean, the I cannot imagine the headache of having to rethink every single thing that you do if you're, let's say, a school superintendent or a principal, I uh, I bumped into the wife of the president of Carnegie Mellon University the other day, and I said, wow, how's he doing? Uh, you know, I, I, I said, you know, he's like reinventing the wheel. A little bit of a little bit of a burden there. I wouldn't want it. Just take getting the kids to school. Most. Kids ride a bus, most do. Well, a typical school bus holds 54 children. But that's sitting, you know, together. And if you were to do strict enforcement of uh, social distancing on that school bus, the school bus that uh, held 54 is going to be able to hold 8 if you're really going to do it right. And most are not going to do that. They're not. They're going to instead do like a zigzag pattern that will allow them to still transport more. And school buses may be like more like public buses. They're going to have to just keep coming around and getting more. I mean, I can't imagine. So you just, we don't even have the kids in the school yet. And the issues and concerns are already getting crazy um, but i I feel so for um for students I feel for their parents, and I feel truly for the teachers and staff um, I really do, and I completely understand those teachers. Uh, who are saying, i I love to teach, it is my passion, but I'm not willing to die for it. So, I don't know. We're going to potentially lose a lot of good teachers. I'm not saying lose them to death. Lose them because they'll say, I can't do this anymore and, and retire. But most, this is the way they bring money into the household, and they'll have to go. So they become part of the... Growing number of people who, in order to pay the rent, in order to be able to have food, uh, go to work, even though they feel very unsafe. Mm, I can't imagine. You know what else I can't imagine? I can't imagine reading a story like I did today that there was an outbreak of the virus on a cruise ship. <laughs> what? what? You mean there's there are people now getting on cruise ships? There are. There are, and there are cruise ships that are plying the waters. Uh, This is from Norway. I mean, you think of normally, I think of uh, you know the Scandinavians as uh, a little sharper in uh, than we are. Says here, a Norwegian cruise ship halted all trips and apologized after an outbreak of coronavirus on one of their ships infected 36 crew members and five passengers. And the fear is they've infected dozens of people in towns and villages along Norway's western coast where the cruise ship docked and people from the ship went into the little towns. What the? You know, I'm sorry. I just, I can't be alone here. I'm sure many of you have this same reaction where you you see people going about their lives as if nothing's changed. And you, well, you're, you despair. I think is you despair. How are we ever? And it's not just Americans. I've seen pictures from Russia with idiots, you know, in bars and, partying and and the same and other other places as as well, what I guess humans maybe we're we're just too dumb to live I don't know I don't know what it is mind blowing to me that there are so many people who like live in a world of their own making that, you know, this is the world they're comfortable in one in which they can go about their lives. They don't have to wear masks. Everything's fine. They can still go on vacation. They can live their lives and not. And, and, and wow, what, what amazing denial skills does a person have? And we now know that millions and millions and tens of millions Of Americans do, obviously. Paul Krugman said, to be a Trump supporter now is to be constantly at war with reality. And guess who's winning? Not reality. To be a Trump supporter now is to be constantly at war with reality. And just think what that will mean. If Trump loses, when Trump loses the election. But that gets scary. Yeah, um, Barbara just sent me something from Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky, I saw, saw a picture of him and he looked, um, he looked like, <laughs> he looked like some Old Testament prophet gone mad. he. <laughs> He has like a prodigious beard now. And, you know, he's an old man. He looks like, yeah, an Old Testament prophet. And with a name like Noam Chomsky, he probably really does look just like those Old Testament prophets did. Um, and yes, I've seen his quote over and over. I'll read it to you. At every level. We are racing madly towards total catastrophe under the leadership of sociopathic fanatics. It is as if some evil demon decided to take over the human species and drive them to self-destruction. Much of the world is trying to counter it, almost all of the world, but the U.S. and Brazil are the extreme cases of racing with dedication towards disaster. Wow. He goes on. I mean, he knows his stuff, so... Chomsky, I bet he's wishing he didn't live so long to see this. He says, going back to this election, that is the reason why it is the most dangerous, the most significant election in history. Why Trump is, in fact, this may sound outrageous, but it's true. Trump is the most dangerous figure in human history. In human history. Wow. I mean, that puts him above Hitler. That's where Chomsky's at. The Republican Party today is the most dangerous organization in human history. You can compare Trump to, say, Hitler. The Wansee Declaration in 1942 called for killing all the Jews, tens of millions of Slavs. Not destroying humanized society, there has been nothing like this. Nothing. So Chomsky says Hitler just wanted to kill, you know, the Jews and uh, you know the gays and the commies and the labor union organizers and the you know this and that. But um, he didn't want to kill humanity, but the way these guys are proceeding is they want to literally wipe us all out. It's amazing. We have a caller. Hello? Hey hey Lynn, good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Um, This
0: is the art that occasionally emails you. I'm the one that emailed you the when you were talking to Sally last week about the horticulture quote from
1: Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, so just thank a- you for that. Ser- serious note, and then we'll, I'll end on a light note. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about the mail-in ballots, and I yeah. tried to go to the Allegheny uh, elections website to uh, register and request a mail-in ballot and this is just for for you and the sake of, of the listeners, if if you don't know, it actually asks you if you are either going to be out of your, uh, yes. what your venue, for lack of a Right, word, right. Like they on, used to. On, on voting day, or if you have a physical condition. Right. Uh, so, but when you go through, as I tried to do, thinking I just go through the steps and apply for the, uh, you know, apply. It actually you actually get to the point where you have to list your PCP name, what your condition is, their phone number. What? And I didn't have so, to do that
1: for the primary,
0: really? No, that's but that's what I'm saying. This is for the general. Because that's what we my wife and I were thinking, well if we got our mail ins, which we did for the primary, would we just automatically get, you know, mail ins for the general. Um and not wanting to assume that we would, that's when I started to investigate this. So um, just so you know, so I sent a message, you can, you know, you can contact them on the website. I sent a message to the Elections Bureau to ask that question, whether you indeed had to specify some kind of condition in order to get a ballot, or just say that you were concerned about social distancing and, you know, wanted to do mail-in. Right, right um so that's an open question just wanted to mention that to you okay. so i'll if i get an answer in yeah the let us know but i'm detail, sure that, will, that no that'll let you know ridiculous yeah that, that, that's crazy so anyway um that's all on the serious okay? okay on on the lighter just to end and not take up too much time did you try your arby's ruben yet Lynn?
1: Oh, you're the one! I actually mentioned. I I said to somebody, my my son is always making fun of Arby's. It's like a punchline in in the family. Uh-huh. And I said somebody told me that the Arby's Reuben is like to die for. And he uh-huh. said, Liter- "Literally, right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't uh, tried it yet. No, thank you. Okay. Um, but you you still stand by it. The Arby's Ruben. All right. Well, someday. But but, but again, again,
0: recognizing that I have very pedestrian
1: taste and uh, I'm a
0: non-gourmand for sure.
1: Well, I am too. I mean, my favorite to this day, my favorite meal is a hamburger and French fries. You know, there there you go. There, there I am. Um, But yeah, well, someday if I'm feeling reckless. There you go. I mean, I haven't been to a, a fast food restaurant. Since this started, let alone to an Arby's.
0: Yeah. Well, of course. What I mean is, it's all drive-through. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's all protected. I mean, you can't go in and sit down and eat anything. It's, everything is drive through, so you just. Well, drive-thru. the only
1: Arby's you know, I see is that them. one in Oakland on Forbes, and they don't look like they have a drive-through.
0: No, there's one on uh, Baum and, uh Bloomfield, right next to Ritter's, kind of right next to Ritter's Diner.
1: Oh, that's true. Okay. All right, so now I know where I'll go if I get an urge. Okay, my friend. Take care. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Art. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Actually, picking up on what uh, Art said and thanking Barbara, who sent me this, uh, this morning, um, here is something, a headline that says, Do not vote by mail. I repeat, (laughs) do not vote by mail. Um, it's a good, also, let me, let me, before I do that, uh, front page New York Times today has a story about how New York City is still counting ballots from their primary six weeks ago. Let that sink in. And they are not the only governmental entity clearly ill-prepared for all of us all of a sudden voting by mail. None of these entities are ready for this because most of us, well, given the fact that Pennsylvania has always made it extremely hard to vote absentee, you had to show up. And so we don't have the infrastructure, the know-how, and you can bet that we won't in time. Our governments have proven to be uh, pretty lead-footed when it comes to being able to act quickly. So six weeks after the New York primary, there are two congressional congressional races still undecided and because it's 6 weeks after you can bet that in i know one of the cases uh one of the candidates has filed suit saying uh, you know arguing about a lot of ballots that have been thrown out because of a wrong postmark, or because the postal service wasn't able to read certain things. You know, it is just when you start looking into the snafus, and boy, was that acronym absolutely dead on for this. I think snafu originated in the military, World War II, did it not? snafu stands for situation normal all fucked up snafu and that there it is that could be our epitaph situation normal all fucked up so anyway all of this uh, presages is that how it's pronounced Yeah, presages, presages, presages a uh, nightmare in November. And if any of us think that on election day, on election night, we will see what we are used to seeing, which is, you know, a final tally of some sorts or an obvious winner. um, I don't think so. Ain't going to happen. And in the interim between election night and when we do finally get a tally, Republicans will be working, well, they're already at it, working overtime, doubling down on suggestions that the vote is being tampered with. The election is being totally, totally screwed up now. And you cannot believe whatever result comes out. So anyway, I thought this was a good idea. I'm just not sure. I think we can do it here. Uh, This do not vote by mail. Do this instead. This sounds smart, actually. If you want to make sure your vote is, we can't ever make sure, if you want to make more sure that your vote is going to be counted, you get your absentee ballot, you fill out your absentee ballot, but you do not mail it. The United States Postal Service is, as we speak, under sustained attack by the guy who oversees it, a Trump donor. It is underfunded. It is overwhelmed. Post offices are being closed, even as the need for the service has never been greater in our democracy's history. So you have a postal service in which the leadership of it is intentionally slowing it down. First class mail is being delayed now. And by November, God knows, you put something in the mail, the odds of it getting where it's supposed to get on time, highly, highly unlikely. And most states say that no ballot will be counted if it is not received on election day or before. Even if you mailed it two weeks before the election and they don't get it, it ain't, they're going to throw it out. So here is what you do. You get your absentee ballot. You fill it out, and then you drop it off. Drop off balloting. I recall in the primary here, when there was concern of m- ballots not getting, you know, mailed uh, on time or not being delivered on time, that they had you could go off at the city-county building. Now, I don't know if they're going to have, you know, a lot more places where you could simply drop your ballot off. That would be the way to do it. You'll actually see it get into the hands of election officials. I mean, if there is somebody there. But I, I, I don't know. I need to find out more about what is possible for us here. But I do like this idea because for every one of us that does this, this alternative method of delivering our ballots, that is one less ballot that our overwhelmed postal service has to deal with and makes it just the slightest bit more possible that um I'm damn it, why do people always I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm so easily distracted. Jesus. Okay. So um you get that? So I think that is um that is smart. God almighty. I'm not really laughing. Okay, I want to um, share with you. I'm assuming, I'm always assuming things, and I don't know, but I'm going to assume that many of you did see uh, the essay or the piece, the whatever, the essay that Alexander Vindman uh, penned as a civilian now. Because that's what he is. He was bullied, intimidated, and forced out of the career that he loved. And this happened as a result of his being a patriot and standing up when asked, when subpoenaed, to testify in Trump's impeachment hearing and I had brought up um, I think maybe even last week that I when he testified I had been moved to tears by his opening statement when he he said his father was so frightened for him because his father had as a single parent run for freedom, toward freedom, with his two sons, his twins, to America. And his sons became ardent American patriots and chose to serve in America's military in gratitude but their dad, who lived most of his life, not in a free society, learning that his son was going to testify against the President of the United States, he thought that's the end. And Vindman said, I told my father, you know, not, don't worry. Actually, I'm not going to, he, he does speak of that in his, in his essay. Because his father's fears (laughs) came true. Because the America that exists now under Donald Trump and the Republicans is not the America they fled toward the shining city on a hill. But it looked an awful lot, acted an awful lot like the hellhole the scary place they had run from. So because he's a civilian now, he left. 21 years, 6 months, and 10 days of active military service. And he decided, I'm obviously going nowhere anymore, and I got to get out. It was a, so he left. And he says this: this experience has been painful, but I am not alone in this ignominious fate. The circumstances of my departure might have been more public. Yet they are little different from those of dozens of other lifelong public servants who have left this administration with their integrity intact, but their careers irreparably harmed. A year ago, having served the nation in uniform in positions of critical importance, I was on the cusp of a career-topping promotion. A year ago, unknown to me, my concerns over the president's conduct and his efforts to undermine the very foundations of our democracy were precipitating tremors that would ultimately shake loose the facade of good governance and publicly expose the corruption of this administration. At no point in my career or life have I felt our nation's values under greater threat and in more peril than at this moment now stop there and imagine that that sentence written by this ardent emigre naturalized citizen proud proud military man and it absolutely mirrors Noam Chomsky, the Old Testament prophet howling in the wind. Both agree, our country has never been in more peril. Vinman goes on, our national government during the past few years has been more reminiscent of the authoritarian regime. My family fled more than 40 years ago than the country I have devoted my life to serving. Our citizens that are being subjected to the same kinds of attacks, tyrants launch against their critics and opponents. Those who choose loyalty to American values and allegiance to the constitution over devotion to a mendacious president and his enablers are punished. The president recklessly downplayed the threat of the pandemic, even as it swept through our country. The economic collapse that followed highlighted the growing income disparities in our society. Millions are grieving the loss of loved ones, and many more have lost their livelihoods, while the president publicly bemoans his approval ratings. (laughs) During my testimony in the impeachment inquiry, I reassured my father, who experienced Soviet authoritarianism firsthand, and I said to him, do not worry, I will be fine for telling the truth. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, despite Trump's retaliation, I stand by that conviction. Even as I experienced the low of ending my military career, I have also experienced the loving support of tens of thousands of Americans. Theirs is a chorus of hope that drowns out the spurious attacks of a disreputable man and his sycophants. Since the struggle for our nation's independence, America has been a union of purpose a union born from the belief that although each individual is the pilot of their own destiny, when we come together, we change the world. We are stronger as a woven rope than as unbound threads. America has thrived because citizens have been willing to contribute their voices and shed their blood to challenge injustice and protect the nation. It is in keeping with that history of service that at this moment, I feel the burden to advocate for my values and an enormous urgency to act. Impeachment exposed Trump's corruption, but the confluence of a pandemic, a financial crisis, and the stoking of societal divisions has roused the soul of the American people. A groundswell is building that will issue a mandate to reject hate and bigotry and a return to the ideals that set the United States apart from the rest of the world. I look forward to contributing to that effort. In retirement from the Army, I will continue to defend my nation. I will demand accountability of our leadership and call for leaders of moral courage and public servants of integrity. I will speak about the attacks on our national security. I will advocate for policies and strategies that will keep our nation safe and strong. I will promote public service and exalt the contribution that service brings to all areas of society. The 23-year-old me, who was commissioned in December 1998, could never have imagined the opportunities and experiences I have had. I joined the military to serve the country that sheltered my family's escape, and yet the privilege has been all mine when I was asked why I had the confidence to tell my father not to worry about my testimony, my response was, Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I have served and defended that all my brothers have served. And here, right matters. To this day, Despite everything that has happened, I continue to believe that. I believe that in America, right matters. And I want to help ensure that right matters. So, Alexander Vindman, now a civilian member of the resistance and a hell of a warrior to have on our side. so what else do I have Uh, I loved this guy I mean I didn't know him I loved him as an actor I just loved him and I do want to note the passing of Wilford Brimley he was just a natural he was (laughs) he was the real deal um unmistakable and i mean it's so funny how he came to acting jeez he was a school dropout he dropped out at the age of 14 he worked as a cowboy he enlisted in the marines after he left the marines went back working as a cowboy as a blacksmith he even worked for a while as a bodyguard I love this to Howard Hughes in his reclusive state and uh, while he was I guess shoeing horses for a, a movie on a movie set Um, he struck up a friendship with Robert Duvall. And that was the beginning. And he remained a close friend uh, with Duvall all his life. And they they did many movies together. Uh, Robert Duvall, by the way, I have a Never forget it, um when I was at the neighborhood playing house in New York, uh, studying theater the um uh, the teacher there was the you know acclaimed uh, Sanford meisner, and um he was scary. I'm sure I've told you stories about him. God was he a terror? And I remember one day with all of us sitting there. I'm sure everyone in that class was terrified. I think. And he looked at us with such contempt. And he said something to the effect of, oh, God. God how I wish that even one of you could have half the ability that my wonderful student Bobby Duvall had. And when he said that, Bobby Duvall, I didn't know who the hell Bobby Duvall was. The year would have been 19... 69 or 70, maybe 1970. And I don't know that Robert Duval was a known quantity at that time, but he was the teacher's pet of the fearsome uh, Sanford Meisner. I actually, I'm not sure. I think at that point Duval had only done... I mean, where he'd been in a movie was, I think, To Kill a Mockingbird. When did To Kill a Mockingbird come out? And it's not like he had a huge role. (laughs) He played, uh, why can't I think of the name of that character, Boo. He played Boo Radley. I don't think he had a line, but as Sanford Meisner always said, I mean, acting has nothing to do with lines. So Brimley and Duvall, and and Brimley, although he never really studied uh, acting much, he is a classic actor because he's genuine. And that was Meisner's technique was to be real. You know, so many people think of acting as sort of artifice, as dissembling, as pretending right? I'm going to pretend to be this person. Well, that would make Meisner's head explode. You know, you have to be that person in total honesty. And I think Brimley, you know, some people are just naturally um, able to do that. So Brimley, it turns out, is um, as a person, I guess, a lot like he, 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 you would think he would be uh, Ron Howard, the actor and director who who uh, directed him in probably the best he ever did in Cocoon. Um, said this: Wilford's a testy guy, not an easy guy to work with. Now, Ron Howard is a really nice guy so for him to say that for you ob- know you know for an obituary is <laughs> really saying something wilford's a testy guy not an easy guy to work with all the time but he has great instincts uh, and apparently and and then rod howard tells a story of um actually robert duval recalls uh, a uh a bit of a to-do while they were filming Tender Mercies between Wilford Brimley and the director, a guy named Bruce Beresford, who, as the director, made a suggestion to Brimley about how he should play this role of uh, Harry that he was playing. And according to Duvall, Brimley says to the director, now look, let me tell you something. I'm Harry. Harry's not over there. Harry's not over there. Until you fire me or get another actor, I'm Harry. And whatever I do is fine, cuz I'm Harry. Now, I got to that is so amazing because it shows what a natural he was. He wasn't playing Harry. It wasn't a role. I'm Harry. You don't tell me how to be me. I love it. Man, I bet that director just backed up. Wow. But I can, you can see why Ron Howard would say he was not an easy guy to direct. There's another good quote in the Times obit bit about him. He says, I never get the girl and I never get to take my shirt off. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, Barbara, yeah, I saw this, too. This is interesting stuff. Uh, The uh, Harvard uh, professor, Lawrence Tribe, um, says... That Even though uh, Trump is trying to make this election uh, look like total chaos, the reality is, and I'll just quote him, look, there's a procedure. It's a very elaborate procedure. This is about who, if the election is not called on election day. In every state... There is a procedure for resolving disputes by the date of the so-called safe harbor on December 8th. I don't know about safe harbor on December 8th, but there you have it. So really, all of these efforts that Trump is making to pretend that he can extend the date of the election, which everyone understands he can't the date is set at November 3rd by an act of Congress. All of that is designed simply to cast doubt in the way that, you know, Vladimir Putin wants to. (laughs) Uh, Cast doubt on the ability of our system to function. They're trying to make it look like chaos. But there is a fail-safe mechanism built in to the Constitution itself. And that is no matter how much dust gets thrown into the gears at high noon on January 20th, 2021, if there has not been a next president elected, at that point, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, becomes President of the United States. God help us if it comes, you know, what have we learned in these three and a half years of this monster in the White House? We have learned never to say that would never happen. And Tribe goes on to say, you know, look, anyone who would try to get in the way of then, you know, if they haven't called the election by the 20, the 21st, I mean, she becomes this, the Speaker of the House on the 20th, she becomes the president. That's the order. And Tribe says all of the enablers at that point would risk committing federal felonies if they were to exercise power, which they no longer have, because Trump would no longer be president. And that's the fail safe. The Constitution is not designed to self-destroy, but it's designed to self-preserve. The real game that Trump is playing is a game, game of making us all doubt that the system will hold, making us doubt that the center will hold, making us doubt all of our institutions. And by sowing doubt and sowing division and distracting us with phony claims about delaying the election, the president is really simply doing Putin's bidding of shaking our system and making us lose faith in all of our institutions. That has been his game from the start. But I think in the end, the hard-wired elements of our system will hold. Oh, God. But then, I give you Krugman's worried thought about what if all his crazy people who live in his reality, in other words, unreality, what if they will not accept the results of the election? They're armed. They're crazy. I don't know. (laughs) You tell me. I don't know. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. There was another caller. I screwed up. I am so sorry. Is there a caller there? Oh, God. Is there a caller there? No. I'm sorry. Hey, have you seen um, how things have calmed down in Portland since the people that were disrupting uh, that city have left? And I'm talking, of course, about the Federal goons, the thugs, as soon as they pulled out, everything was fine. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There was this uh, thing going around on Twitter yesterday showing, you know, people are, it's like reading tea leaves. Uh, is a close-up of Trump's hand, and it had a bruise on it, the kind of bruise you get if you've had a, um, you know, a, a needle stuck in to draw blood or something. Um, and so there's this sense that uh, maybe, um, again, he seems to be something's wrong, that he's getting some kind of medical treatment or something. Who the hell knows? We have a caller. Hello, caller. Hello, Lynn. Hi. Hello, Lynn.
0: How Hi. you doing? I'm good. That's good. Um, I wanted to talk about voting, but uh, you're talking about Wilford Brinley. Yeah. He's uh, acting in the movie Absence of Malice.
1: Oh yeah. With, uh, uh, was that um, with Paul Newman or or? Yeah,
0: Paul Newman. Uh, yeah. He was a judge, know, right? Know. Yeah, yeah. He said to the guy, "How long have you been? How long did you plan on being a an employee?" Well, I'm not resigning. Well, you're not a presidential employee. The guy that hired you was me. You got 30 days.
1: And you remember that? Yeah, it was a good movie. I like that. Paul Newman and Sally Fields. Oh, right. Okay. Those was a lot of good actors there. Okay. And uh, about
0: the voting. Colorado has been doing mail-in voting for over 30 years. Yeah, And they do.
1: They
0: don't rely on personal
1: voice. So
0: you know but what? You're bad. fading
1: out on me. Are you talking directly into your phone?
0: Oh, no, this telephone. Can you hear me now?
1: Well, you're soft, but then maybe I'm going deaf. I don't
0: yeah, know. this is stupid Brand new phone. phone. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, I I am having some trouble hearing you. Hey, thank you for the attempt. All right, goodbye, man. Uh, bye, <laughs> goodbye. Um, I have another little obit that happened uh, a while ago and never got it in. But I, I, I so appreciate what this guy. I mean, it's a great. Well, it, the obituary called it the um, probably. It, it was called the earworm for the ages. It was a song that if you heard it. You never forgot it and it would just keep going around and around and around in your head. And it's the only song that many of us know that this guy did. He was a, a um a Dane. Um the Danish know more of his stuff. But that's the only one that really made it uh over here. And the the composer's name was was interesting. <laughs> I mean, I'm Danish. I'm sure it's a perfectly normal name, but in English, his name is Bent Fabric. Bent Fabric. He died at the age of 95, and the little tune that uh, he came up with won the 1962 Grammy Award for Best Rock and Roll Recording. And here's the weird thing. It is not rock and roll. I mean, it's unbelievable how did that win? Okay, here's the song in case you didn't know. Um Alley Cat. Okay? It's an instrumental, it ain't no singing. Alley Cat. Well, I am not going to I won't. I'm sure most of you know it. Um and it is. It's just a great song. Uh The obit calls it a simple, almost lackadaisical piano tune with a light old-time feel, an earworm for the ages, a melody heard once that could easily embed itself in your mind and repeat itself on an endless loop (laughs) until forcibly dislodged. But that ain't no rock and roll song. How the hell did that win rock and roll in 62? It was up against... Big Girls Don't Cry by The Four Seasons, "Twisting the Night Away by Sam Cooke, and Breaking Up is Hard to Do by Neil Sedaka. That's funny, because I was singing that song just last night. I was. A friend was over in the backyard. He's getting a little old. And as he got up you know, with all the, uh, with all those sounds that old people make when they're getting up. And by the way, he's younger than me. He I really, it annoys me. He got up and it was like, and, and, and then he said, geez, getting up is it's hard to do. And that's when I, you know, went into, they say that getting up is hard to do. I'm sorry, I won't say, no, nah, no, nah, nah. I know that it's true. Okay, getting up is hard to do, remember when, I'll stop. Okay, getting up is hard to do. Anyway, so Alley Cab beat, the it, it, it's just absurd that that's a, oh, so I uh, remember, um, I ain't here tomorrow, I mean, I am here, but I'm not here. And I'll be back on uh, Wednesday. And I'm being told that the COVID numbers for Allegheny County are being delayed, uh, and will be provided as soon as possible. Okay, so there you have it, guys. Listen, I hope you can enjoy this. Really, looks like a beautiful day. Hope you can enjoy it. Um, I hope I could enjoy it. And um, I'll, I'll be back on, on Wednesday. Okay? Thank you. And goodbye.
0: Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host, and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.